every job, even yours, mine, even if it's the dream job, it has the, the opportunity to become mundane. And so like, if I'm constantly pushing this message, like get outside your comfort zone, do whatever, like photography becomes my comfort zone. Traveling to weird places becomes, so what's out of my, this is out of my comfort zone. This is way out. And I, I pursued that as a way to like explore the limitations that I feel like I've set on myself. And, and so I feel like during those like long night rides, that's where I found the most joy. It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we're talking about practice. Repeat on the dude's run. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see, you think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever trash talk black Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Pace and McAlvin. Hello and welcome back to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by... SRAM. They back. That's right. SRAM Bicycle Components is back to supporting the show and it is awesome. Actually, now that I think about it, today's guest, I believe, rides SRAM as well. I don't know if Chris Burkhardt actually has an official partnership with SRAM, but I do know he rides it because we just rode down the coast of California together not too long ago. Speaking of the coast of California, I am recording this intro right at the water's edge of the Pacific Ocean in Monterey Bay. Um, Why am I here? Podcast things that are secret. But on my way here, I stopped and chatted with Chris Burkhard, my dear friend, the ultra-famous photographer, and almost as famous these days cyclist. I only really had time for a quick pit stop at his studio in San Luis Obispo, but I knew I wanted to stop and utilize the 45 minutes that I had because not too long ago, he did a lap of Iceland on his bike in one go, almost 900 miles without sleeping. 50 some odd hours, he smashed the previous record of this event called Cyclothon, and I wanted to hear all about it. Um, In one of our early episodes, we had Chris on to talk about some of his incredible travel stories, some of his day-to-day work as a photographer, all that sort of thing. But this one is all about the planning, training, and execution of hands down one of the most insane physical and psychological athletic achievements I've ever heard of. Strava threw it on their top 10 performances of the year, top 10 Strava uploads of the year. Um, it's just absolutely incredible. And because it's Chris and he's so polished, <laughs> I tee it up for him and he just rolls. I barely talk in this one and it's, it's awesome. But he, he digs in deep, um, to the psychological component, the mechanical component. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoy again. Thanks to SRAM for delivering this episode. Thanks to SRAM for delivering Chris Burkhard on a full lap of Iceland in record time. That's insane. And thank you, SRAM, for helping all of us push ourselves 
and achieve awesome new experiences by bike all the time. No matter how you enjoy the bike, SRAM is there to help you enjoy it even more. Catch you at the end of the show. This is the first time that I've showed up to a podcast without my notebook. I kind of like that, though. Like, I literally have one question. I and love, it's not even a question. I, it's just I, a topic. I actually love that. You know, it's funny. I've been... People were asking me about doing a podcast, and the one that I was telling them, like, you know, like, I don't... There's so many good podcasts. I would never want to do one. The only way I feel like I'd ever do it is if I had just one specific thing to ask people. Like, hey, tell me about this one thing. I can do like a 20-minute podcast where it's really just a rant about this singular experience. Because I think like sometimes you share these moments with your friends or whatever where like there's this one story and you just want to hear that. Or you want to like, you know what I mean? Like totally. it's, it's almost like more, because again with Justin, for you guys, you could talk with that guy for like 18 hours and like yeah. you could, it would all be interesting. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I'm in a podcast and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of like not interested in this, but like you want to get to like the, the good stuff sort of thing. So. It's funny you mentioned Justin because yesterday he had a shoot with Rafa and he had to wake up at 5 a.m. and then they shot from 7 a.m. until 6 p.m. Yeah. And then he got in his car and he drove two hours to Red Bull HQ and we started recording at like 8.30. P.m. Yeah. And then at 11 p.m., like I literally saw his eye, like he was still speaking with passion, but his eyelids were like slowly closing. I was like, Justin, we've been recording two and a half hours. You can yeah, go home you can now. Go now but <laughs> we can we can go to sleep now. I think that's a great idea though, because you know who Tim Ferriss is? Yeah. Tim. Yeah. Um he has this pretty sweet book called uh, uh Tribe of Mentors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he basically asks he has like seven questions. He asks a whole bunch Same of people. Thing, yeah. It's super cool. So yeah, I was thinking you day. could almost like do another version of your podcast where like, you know, if you see armchair expert, mm-hmm. he has like armchair expert and then he has experts on experts he has like kind of two versions of the same thing i almost feel like there's a a sub series of the same podcast where you're like hey this is like you know i don't know something because you could like revisit guests and be like hey rebecca like what was alaska like yeah like just you know because that's like one story i'm like oh or like i don't know that's kind of what we want to do today yeah i mean i was i was literally so i'm just driving from los angeles to monterey today i drive right through slow i'm like there's no way i'm not stopping to see chris so you <laughs> luckily got, I'm home barely like the scheduling is hilarious. When did you get back from Japan? I got back from Japan maybe uh, 18 hours ago and I, I've slept about 16 of those hours. Yeah. And then you leave. <laughs> I leave in 24 hours to head to Park City and do yeah. a little event, do some skiing. And then and then finally I'm home actually for a good period of time prior to March, which is kind of a lot of things up in the air. You know, it always is. It's like, yeah. do I do this? Do I do that? Trying to build your schedule and. Be the most productive and lucrative you can with your time and chaos, you know? Totally. Yeah. But anyway, basically, I was just like, I'm going to roll through slow and I'm going to ask Chris about his crazy ride in Iceland and the like probably the end. We'll just talk about that for maybe yeah. 20 or 30 minutes and then I'll keep driving. It's perfect. It's like, you're like, I had to use the bathroom, so I'm, I'm here already. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, stop at a gas station bathroom yeah, or stop like, at the dope studio. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's such a funny one because it's like my, my one like feather in my hat that I have from cycling <laughs> and uh it's like title ship wise because yeah. a lot of people know you're a total badass yeah. on the bike I but. mean I don't know about that I you know I I've I was thinking about this you 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 texted me and you're asking me about this and I was thinking about it last night or on the plane and I was like man what do I have to tell Payson about this ride because you know you know 
why people ride bikes. You know why people ride bikes for a really long time. You understand, you get it, you've done all this, you've been to the breaking point, you've you've passed the breaking point, you felt that joy. And I think that for me in my own crazy, you know, weird world and perspective, like I think that if anything that allows me to be kind of connect my body and my mind with the physical pursuit of experiencing a place like it's always about place it's always been about place that's that's what it is that's why the coast ride is so fun because mm-hmm. of the place because of where we are because it's it's about i guess in many ways like putting down a heritage somewhere and i and i'll explain this in the best way possible i can like I get asked all the time, like, how many how many countries have you been to? How many stamps are in your passport? And I'm like, uh, you know, honestly, I don't know. And I don't care because that's never been my goal. It's never been about seeing more places and 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 getting that dopamine hit that only comes from traveling. Like when you travel and you see something new, you're like, it's exciting. It opened your eyes, it like opened your heart to this new thing, and you're just you're you're jazzed for a couple of days, you're like on cloud nine. It doesn't matter if you're super tired, like you've you've experienced, I've experienced, I love it. It's a great feeling. But I've found so much more joy going back to places that I've been before. Hmm. And it's what's brought me to Iceland 41 times. It's 41? Yeah, it's great. It's what's brought me, and I, I swear, someday I'll get you there. Yeah, um, yeah. It's what's brought me to like Norway multiple times, and Alaska like eight, nine times. And it's those places where you have this connection to land, landscape, of course, and that the people, yeah, and and maybe an environmental initiative that like, in some way makes you feel like I've set roots here and I love this. And I think I feel like in many ways for you, like I see a lot of the rides you do like around where you live and like, you know, even like white rim and all that, like there's a connection there, you know, of something deeper than you can just, you know, explain, I think verbally. So I think that for me in that regard, like that's what drew me to Iceland first. I just wanted to like set the stage and it was the fact that I've driven around this country. I've flown around the country. I just released a book on aerial photography in, the, in there, and um, and I've experienced it in every way you can, you know. And I and I love that. And I feel like in many ways it's given me so much, and I want to give something back to it. And I guess that gift I felt like I could give back to it was like, what's it like when it pisses rain or blows sideways wind, 30, 40 knots, and you can't get in the car mm-hmm. and you don't get in the tent and you don't bundle up, but you literally subject yourself to it. And like going to a place where you're like, I'm ready, I'm ready to fucking experience all of that. Like that's that's a gnarly feeling. And like, it's a very vulnerable feeling because I was like scared out of my mind. Like, like <laughs> I was so scared, so scared. I mean, there's this basically this race that's in no capacity, like some, notable race of any kind it's called cyclothon and it's it's it rides around the ring road 846 miles or or give or take and uh, it does it usually in a relay format with multiple teams and multiple people and and really fast pace you know and then there's a two-man format and then there's a solo category and every couple years a soloist enters it's not like a normal thing so i had been looking at this race and i swear to you like the reason i got into ultra endurance cycling was because of that race. It was because of the goal of like, oh, this would be sick. And I, I, six months out, I I had been riding and I had been testing the waters because I'm like, you're not just gonna be like, I'm gonna do an 860 mile race. Um, you're, You're gonna like, what's a century feel like? What's a double century feel like? And I had done that stuff like a year or two prior. And I was like, okay, what's, what happens beyond a double century? Like, what does it feel going 
above 200 miles. And to put it in perspective, like this is what I thought about the other day, because I did a lot of training for this, and I'll get into that in a second here. And sorry, this is just me blabbing, but no, this is like, dude, that's why I'm here. Like, <laughs> imagine the coast ride. And people have heard Payson talk about this, me talk about this, but it's this ride that goes from SF to Santa Barbara, and it's roughly like 300 and. 60 50 80 miles something like that like imagine doing that and then getting there and turning directly back around (laughs) (laughs) directly back around to go back to sf and then and then turn around and basically go almost all the way back like like it's it was it's like i don't understand it's (laughs) mind-blowing when you it's just yeah it's psychotic but so anyway i and to do all that without stopping yeah yeah well that's the goal and um all intents and purposes yeah so i guess in logistical terms i'll just tell you what happened at the race and then i'll try to tell you what what i did to like do it you know like because i i think in many ways like to me the training was the most interesting part that's where i learned the most i mean you you speak about this a lot too and like that was the most like that was the raddest thing was like preparation yeah well just the mental and everything but anyway i did the race I had I was blessed with an incredible tailwind for the first 24 hours. I mean, I'm I'm not even kidding you. I I uh <laughs> I didn't get off the bike for 200 miles. And I'm not talking about like 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 I'm not saying like oh I got off and peed like I didn't, didn't pee. put a foot down. I didn't put a foot down. I did the first 200 miles in 10 hours. And uh it was a, all in the mail. Yeah, it was like it was the fastest I've ever gone on a I can you imagine like you're just given this gift like yeah. and i knew i was like i made a i made a deal with my bladder i'm like <laughs> you are you are getting on board like we're not stopping like like this is happening and so i just accepted that and i, I think i got off and like the first thing i did was i just like went pee grabbed a little bit of food shook out the legs kept going and i made it to Damn. this town called Eglistader, which is like the furthest east big town it's like your furthest east point and i got there in like 22 hours and it was like 400 miles into the race dude and um it was under it was sub yeah it was sub 24 it was like 22 hours and i was like i was like like adrenaline was just still raging how far ahead of everybody else were you i don't even know way far ahead i didn't i mean i'll, I'll kind of get into that first i just okay. want to give the, the results yeah and then work backwards because totally. i i feel like it's hard to like it's hard to break all this down. Yeah. But I think, because I think the most applicable part for people is really the training and and how that applies to everybody. But the result was amazing. And I I basically stopped for like 40 minutes, tried to sleep, lay down. My my legs were just, you can't like you, you, I, it was, it was pointless. Like trying to stop when you're that sore, that tired, all that stuff was just stupid. So I, that's the one regret I really have from the race was like trying to take a little nap I should have just kept going because I felt amazing. And the moment you stop, your legs are like, what are you doing to me? So I kept going. And um, after that, and I basically got, I I wrapped around the East coast um, of Iceland through the fjords and um, the sun rose. And basically I had another 450 miles to go, (laughs) but this 450 miles was different. All of that beautiful tailwind and everything I, I was gifted on that first section was like strip I mean this was like it was stripped from me I I uh, could see these huge um, what are they called uh, lenticular clouds over this section of the coast and I everybody knows this section because it's where the worst winds are it's where the glacier is it meets the ocean right 
And this is like a part of that story of place. Like you're you're going through these sensations emotionally, physically, everything, and, and the landscape is affecting all of this. So like you're seeing these clouds, it's an ominous sign. It basically means high wind, high elevated wind, right? And so I get by the glacier and like the moment that I crest around this headland, it's like 40 knot side wind to the, and I got these deep dish envies on, right? And I'm like, I'm literally, my bike is leaned over at an angle to where my, my, pedal, <sighs> my pedals are almost scraping the ground. I'm fighting this thing and I'm riding and like my van can't like part, like, you know, I've got a, a chase vehicle, right? And they can't, they're just watching me going like seven miles an hour. Um, so I did that for six hours of sideways Dude. wind. I put like, I put things in my ears because the trauma from the wind was so vicious that I had to like cover my ears because it was just, you know, wind is whipping in your head and you're like, you're pretty tired. I'm not hallucinating yet, <laughs> but it's just, it was gnarly. And then that led up and I finally made it to Vic, the southernmost point in Iceland. And Vic is like a two and a half hour car ride away. And I had 300 miles to go at that point. And basically, it started to rain and then I had nine hours of rain at that point. And the lucky thing is like I had a slight like like light wind, you know, rain. It wasn't like windy rainy. It was like light light wind and then and then a subtle tailwind and then kind of a headwind, whatever. But it was just pissing rain. Pissed rain on me all the way till the very end. And like to the point where like I couldn't wear enough clothes to heat up. You're just you don't have the the fat mm -hmm. on you. I lost 35,000 calories, 10 pounds. What? In 52 hours. You burned 35,000 calories? Yeah, according to my whoop. <laughs> uh, no plug for whoop, but that was, yeah. It was, Dude. Uh, it was gnarly. So, I mean, I'm, I'm like fighting to like produce heat and just like have every layer of clothes on and you're just soaking through the rain. It's like that gnarly Icelandic rain, as you can imagine. And then I finished and it was awesome. And I was, uh, I hallucinated a lot we can get into that but basically i finished and i had set a new course record um of 52 hours in like 15 or 30 minutes something like that it was four hours and 40 minutes um faster than the the fastest time that had been done and um and yeah it was insane i i, I uh, that year there was two other soloists the other soloist was is this awesome guy. He's Icelandic, and he's actually the guy who set all the course records there. He didn't finish. He yeah. DNF'd. And this other the weather, yeah, yeah. Um, I believe so. Yeah, because the weather the weather was gnarly. Like he, I mean, the weather's always gnarly. They get ice and frost and all kinds of stuff. But I just I saw that first twenty four hours, and I was like, if I don't take advantage of this, I will be a fool. Like, and so I did. And 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 the other this other gal from Alaska, she was amazing. Bless her heart. She she didn't finish either. And um, it was kind of the one brutal part was like, I remember driving a day and a half later, like the cutoff time is 80 hours. So I did it in 52, whatever, but I went to sleep. I woke up and then later that night I, I drove with my mom and my, my wife uh, to the South coast of Iceland to show them the sights and whatnot. I was like still, and I saw the other soloist going, still riding. Still riding. And I was like, I was just like, Oh my, like I couldn't imagine. And, and poor gal, she was, just ride. I mean, because the thing is, like, if you don't take advantage of that wind, I was imagining, like, dude, if you got caught in those side winds or, like, for longer, like, it would just kill you. Like, you would, yeah. It, like, yeah. So that's the race. That's what happened. But I think, you know, the training element, as always, is the most interesting. And I, I come from a place, you know, I've always thought, like, man, you know, where would be sick is to live in Durango and train. Because like, <laughs> yeah. I see your training yeah. rides and I'm like, dude, he's in snow. It's like windy. There's lots of gravel. 
it's like you you have badass training. You're in elevation. Like yeah. that's what I. What it's I, raw out yeah. there. Yeah, you oh. can't there. You can't really fake it. Like no. it's it's a. You can't ride 100 miles without hitting dirt. Like, correct. Yeah. yeah, that's see that where I live. I live in road cycling mecca, California. Like I can leave my house and ride 100 miles without hitting a stoplight. But in terms of like big climbs or elevate like training at elevation and just developing great lungs and and also rain. Mm-hmm. I don't like I to train. The first thing was I, I had to try and recreate those conditions. So I. I um it was winter time in California. This race was in the summer, um, basically middle of the the peak midnight sun, right? So you gotta keep in mind there was no darkness. Yeah. I rode all yeah, night, yeah. never had to use a headlight. Right. It was insane. That's nice. It was sick. I mean the sun <laughs> does a lot for do- for keeping you awake and everything. Yeah. Um but I had to like find rain. I had to find conditions to like so the windiest, worst days I would basically start and try and go out and be like, cool, I'm riding hundred miles, two hundred miles on this day. And it made for slow riding. The base miles, I did a lot of studying about like and I talked to a lot of people um online and just like on websites and whatnot about like people who train for RAM and and people who train for RAW, which is the first nine hundred miles of RAM and just ultra endurance. Like there's a lot of great articles out there. But for me, what I realize, and for anybody looking to you know potentially do this type of stuff, the most important rule of thumb is like don't worry about your base miles every day. Mm. Um, it's really about the one long ride a week because I'll tell you what, riding fifty miles doesn't teach you much. <laughs> riding a hundred miles doesn't teach you much. I've ridden a hundred miles on the worst seats ever, and just like you get off, you're like, ooh, ow, that didn't feel great, you know. But it's about like what happens at mile 300 what happens at mile four so the the longest ride that i did was a hunt 376 miles to train <laughs> it was a it was a uh it was a race that me and um uh one of the my i would say maybe mentors in this whole thing was um was a hello hamas on instagram it's um he's a he's a designer from specialized and um he's just an amazing uh, amazing, amazing dude, um, Eric Nolan, who uh, is a, you know, does a lot of like Ranyonets and brevets and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And he, he's kind of just somebody that I like looked up to, and so I was able to ride with him to do like a 250 mile ride, and then one uh, 370 mile, 600k, and we like on that 375 375 mile ride, we set like the course record for this big Ranyune event. It was a Ranyuneering event. You don't even know how to say that word. It's like a French word. I'm not (laughs) French. So, um, but it was sick. And that was like, that was a good like telltale sign. I was like, okay, this is real. But imagine like, I was thinking, I was like, you finish that and you turn right back around. And like that, that scared me like legit. Yeah, of course. And so I think that was the beauty is like, I got home and I was like pretty like, you know, into like recreational cycling. I'd ride every Every couple days I'd ride. I'd ride if I could every single day. Um, but I was like, okay, I've got six months like out. You know, I've done a couple two hundred mile rides. At this point, I've gone, done you know some bunch of fondos. I've done whatever you know, and I feel strong. But like real serious training. How does that start? And basically, it was like one of those things where I I began this thought process of like, okay, I need to do this one big ride every single week. And it started with like a century then a double century, then a triple century, 300 mile ride. And then what I started doing was like, okay, what, where do I go from here? And I think my biggest training block was three 200 mile rides <laughs> a week. I did like, and I, and I tried to like put them in the most variety of yeah. conditions. So 
Um, so it was like I did one through Joshua Tree that was tons of climbing, desert climate, super gnarly. And then I did one from my house up to Santa Cruz, which is through Big Sur, lots of climbing, lots of technical turns, this and that. And then I did another one, which was from my house all the way up to um, all the way up to Santa Cruz, uh, or sorry, up to uh, Morgan Hill to Specialized. And that was like a week. It was like three 200-mile rides. And then in between, every other every day, normally, I would just put in, I would put in two and a half hours worth of riding, usually indoors. Because the one thing you realize is that if you're going to train for ultra is like, with that much time outside, you're going to crash. Mm. It's just, it's just, it's just going to happen. You're going to mm. eat shit. Your bike's going to fall apart. It does. Like, yeah. so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I, to get smart, I started implementing with indoor training mm. to offset the days that I was outside. Cause if I'm doing one, like keep this in mind, like most people get a tune up after like a 300 mile ride. Totally. Like, like, yeah. So like, I, I don't, I was like, I'm not going to go, go take my bike to the shop, like every 300 mile ride and get like, you know, my everything checked out. So it was like, okay, I got to, got to train indoors to be smart to like not wear out my bike as well and um, take care of the machinery a little yeah bit. and just like yeah. the body like it's so much it's like you go downstairs so much safer you have your stuff and yeah. um so that was that i mean that was like the mileage right and it was just like by doing so you figure out the seat you figure out the the gear you figure out the aches and pains the one best thing about long distance and you know this is like you feel a, a, a knee a pain in your knee mm. around like six seven hours it's probably going to go away. Yeah. Like it, it usually does. And that's kind of a good thing to like work through those things because you need to try to create as many of these scenarios that could, could pop up as possible. And, um, the other big component was like mental. How do you deal with the mental training? And this is where things get super dark, weird, super dark. <laughs> well, it's funny and, just quickly when you reached out to me, you sort of reached out to me for advice, but I think we both knew that I wasn't going to be able to help you. Yeah, no, but <laughs> I, so, I appreciate your advice a lot. Like, well, you you yeah. you asked me some basic questions about like base miles and, and preparing, yeah. and I didn't know exactly how long the ride was, and so I gave you some basic answers, and I yeah. asked how long the ride was, and then you told me, and I was like, dude, I'm sorry, I can't really help you. There are literally three people I know on this planet who could maybe do what you're trying to do, and it's you... <laughs> Lael Wilcox and Rebecca Rush. Lael would crush. Like yeah. those are the three people that I think maybe could do it. Right, so right, So I was right. like, good luck, man. Yeah. Here are the basic things that help me, but I don't even know if they apply. But I think I think <laughs> that in inadvertently, like, it was super helpful. And just to get a bunch of different perspectives um, was, was huge. And I think the mental training, this is the part that, like, like you can't really find online, you know, you can, and I, you have your own mental training. I, I saw that a lot in, in your film, which I loved. Like it was sick to see the way you, your perspective works. And for me, it was, I, you know, I had to basically be like, what's it like to feel the worst you've ever felt and ride a bike. And I, I, I know this just sounds like, <laughs> this is just like the most masochistic, stupid thing to say. And I'm so sorry, but the reality is like, yeah, I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm going to crap my pants. I'm going to go ride my bike at least Whoa. for a couple miles. I feel like I'm going to, um, I, I just ate a huge dinner. I have total indigestion. Like I'm going to go ride my bike. Um, it's midnight and I've been up for 24 hours. Just, just not working like working like normal life. I'm going to go ride starting now a century. Dude, you know who I need to interview is your wife. Dude, she's a good interview. Bro. <laughs> no, but like, what is it like to be married to you? Oh my <laughs> shit. Oh, well, shit. we've been married for a long time. So luckily we have this, relationship that's built upon like my crazy chaos and, and you, you know keep in mind like the the beauty for me of of that whole 
Endeavor was like, you know, every job has the, I'm going to steal this directly from my TED Talk because it's the only way, but every job, even yours, mine, even if it's the dream job, it has the, the opportunity to become mundane. And so like, if I'm constantly pushing this message, like get outside your comfort zone, do whatever, like photography becomes my comfort zone. Traveling to weird places becomes, so what's out of my, this is out of my comfort zone. This is way out. And I, I pursued that as a way to like explore the limitations that I feel like I've set on myself. And, and so I feel like during those like long night rides, that's where I found the most joy. Like getting up at midnight, being like, I'm gonna be in freaking Santa Cruz by noon. Like that's my goal. And like, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't ever train for speed. Never train for Watts. Like yeah. I can't like all that stuff to me. Is There's just no super nerdy. No, it's like, because every condition's different. It's like, can I just not get off the bike? Can I, what can I learn to do on the bike? I never learned to pee. I know we talked about yeah. that. I never quite, yeah. <laughs> quite mastered yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I almost yeah. crashed trying to do it. But, like, <laughs> but yeah, like unwrapping this food and these things, like I, I really dialed that in. And I think just training in every harsh condition I could think of. Um, also like training no caffeine and then training with a lot of caffeine mm -hmm. and seeing how that helps. So when I rode, I, I dosed caffeine like fairly regularly, but just always tried to keep it minimal. What, uh, what was your intake method for caffeine? It was typically like I had caffeine pills um, that I took and then I, I, I did drink some of these Oatly like kind of, cause the thing is, is like you ride in a compressed position for that long. Um, at least for me, I don't really produce like tons of stomach acid. It's hard for me to digest stuff. So mm. if I was to eat a big meal, I would have to like stay upright for a while. Mm. And like on the bike, I, I really I really leaned on a liquid diet mm -hmm. as much as I could. So I would drink these like Oatly like little coffee things, mm. which had like oat milk, which is quite a few calories, carbs, as well as um, caffeine. So mm. those were like, you know, 75 milligrams, 100 milligrams, but I would make sure those were spaced out, right? Every like four to five, six hours. Um, caffeine pills helped as well when it started to get real dark and like at the, towards the end. And I, I kind of tried to like, I didn't use any caffeine for the first like nine to 10 hours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then kind of started using it through the night. And that's the thing is that you, you learn this, like you ride at night, ride from midnight to, to noon, like nine, like 8am that sun's like beating on you. You'll feel awake. Yeah. Like hundred percent. But, but in those hours of like three to four to five, like it's hard. Like it really is. Even if you're like, even if you had just taken a nap, like it's hard, it's dark. Yeah. Um, so that was a big part of it was that regimentation. And I think food in general was a very big eye opener for me. That was like probably the, you know, of all the things to dial in, I guess you could say on your bike, even like the fit and the seat, you know, and all these stupid things. The food was the hardest one. You always hear that. Yeah. yeah and and it, every, the, the thing about that is like, I could say, Hey, I use an infinity seat. It's this weirdo seat that was designed for Ram. It has a hole cut out in it. Like it works for most everybody. It'll probably work for, for you. Like that's a great option, but I can't say a one size fits all for food. Like right. I was like, I had a lot of shop blocks you know, with caffeine. So I was dosing with those like 15 milligrams, the whatever those or the salted extra salt, right? Anything with salt, like yeah. you need salt. Yeah. Um, I basically did some Marten, um, liquid, uh, nutrition, which yeah. was like their 320 Marten mix. Cause you're trying, I was trying to get as much liquid calories as possible. Everything I was consuming needed to have calories in it. Um, because I, I could not, I, you, I could never physically consume enough 
to make up for what I was losing. It's just impossible, right? If I was sleeping, yeah, that would be different. I could have like had a hamburger or whatever. You know, I'm vegan, but not a hamburger, but some something <laughs> yeah, yeah. equivalent. And yeah. then and then gone to sleep. Impossible and then, burger. Yeah, <laughs> and then gone to sleep and let it digest. But like when you're moving and you're, you got this fire in your stomach and it's working really hot, and the last thing you want to do is throw a whole bundle of sticks on there yeah. and let it smoke out. It's like it was all about feeding it with like little yep. bits of tin, like kindling. And so, did you st- again? We're gonna maybe cross the line for some people here, but yeah. did you stop and have a bowel movement? Um, I don't think I ever took a dump. Yeah, no. isn't that cr- like that's like what three day, three, two and a half? It was days? nerves. It was nerves for sure. Yeah, it was also nerves. Like I, I never but, took. Yeah. I never went. I never yeah. went number two. No, that's and, interesting. But it, that's the thing is, I was awake in total for sixty three hours. Without sleeping, yeah, never slept. And to an I, extent, and, your body just yeah. like rises to the occasion. Oh, totally understands the job at hand. Yes, and everything else gets put on hold. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and that's what's interesting is like it's amazing how you adapt. It's amazing how your body adapts. Like I was so blown away by that, and and to think at the end, I was like, I could have kept going. I didn't. At the end, it like you 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 go you go to such a different place that you're just like. You're like this is this is now what I know. This is now what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't. This walk is my around. lot in yeah, life. This is my lot in life. <laughs> but back to food. The the I I fully stole this from Lael. But I remember seeing this photo of Lael, and she had like, and it's the classic like, it's like she had French fries just thrown into her her top tube bag or whatever it is. And I was like, whoa, that's savage. And I was like, I don't think I'm that savage because like the grease and all the. Yeah. So what I did was I built. I, I got the Revelate, like the big one, the biggest one they make. It's like a 15 liter or, like, or 15, whatever it is, cubic yeah. inches. I don't know. Um, mag thing. And, and here's the one thing is like, I didn't travel on the bike super light because of the fact that I've realized that all like the passing of the water bottles and the passing of food, that takes time. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wanted to be on like the spirit quest version of it. So I, I pretty much, um, I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to load up enough food to like not have you bother me for a hundred miles and enough water. And then every like six hours you, we, we will, you know, and they were right there. So anytime I needed something, but, and I had a walkie and all that crap for, um, for my, my sag rig, but, uh, Make ulti- sure you're not dying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I'm veering and this and that, but ultimately I, what I, I built a bento box, like a mm. I cardboard thing. I put it in there. And what I would do is the sickest thing is I had pre-prepared all my food. And so I would just take the box out, hand it to the no car way. and they would literally, I had like, um, what were they? Uh, oh my gosh. So I had, I had cliff blocks in the front and then I had cut in half stroop waffles because the circular ones don't work. But if you cut them in half, they can lay like this. Ah. So I had like 10 stroop waffles, which was like equivalent to like a thousand calories. And then in the back of the bento box, I would have something else like some other like thing or, or like a huge pastry would fit in there or something. So I would just pull it out, hand it to them, get back a refuel. And it was like, I knew exactly how many calories yeah. each one of these was because here's the thing is it got so serious towards the end that I was, and I was so delirious and I was so hallucinogenic. I don't know if that's a word, but yeah, I yeah. was hallucinating that um, I was like every 15 minutes, I need you guys to honk at me Whoa. until you see me eat Whoa. because I was starting to kind of lose my mind. And basically <laughs> I was like, I was like honk at me. And so I, they'd honk and I'd be like, Oh God, more stroop, more shut, you know, whatever, just eating it. Um, so that was crucial. And then, yeah, I did French fries in there and, and I, but I didn't go straight to, 
I didn't go straight to like the the bag that was Lael's version, and that was just savage. She's a savage. So she's so. Have you seen the photo of her drinking the half <laughs> yeah. and half? Dude, at first Dude. I thought it was milk too, and then I like zoom in. I'm like, she's drinking half and half. Like, she I would is, vomit immediately. I would too. It's I so. She is an animal. It really in is. the coolest way. In the best way. Like yeah, no, I I fully um, I loved your podcast with her, and and just the way she describes cycling is so raw and pure and and beautiful, like incredibly beautiful. Um, I definitely will say I got to that place towards the end where, and this is where the mental training makes a difference is like when it starts to rain and you've ridden in the rain for a long time, you're like, okay, I've done this. Nothing to fear here. When I've ridden in the wind, um, you know, I would literally wait for there to be like, you know, 30 knot Northwest winds in California. And I would find a road that was, you know, I, I would do rides like by my house where I would just go back and forth on the road for like three and a half hours riding like 10 miles, you know, just to feel that wind. But it was so nice to not be like, Oh, this is new. This is, you know, I could deal with that. But then there is a point where like it gets so dark. And I mean that emotionally that you're like, I was having to dig and I was kind of cycling through different motivation points. Like one of them being like, I'm like anger, like, like, Anger, the music was just like I had to like have like heavy metal or something like that, and like just get good angry. anger or like, no, it was like, eating at you. No, no, not like the ride, like nothing about the bike or okay. nothing about my body or not like just like like angry Fire, about yeah. this, like whatever you could find. Yeah. And then I would gravitate towards like like my family, my kids. Like, oh, I'm doing this for this, like gratitude. Like I'm like there are people who are literally in wheelchairs right now and like can't do this and like all you know and um, this whole ride was basically obviously a benefit it goes towards like als or one of that that was one year and then this year it was for um, another fund and stuff so you're, you're you're obviously doing this for a good purpose and and it was it was funny to cycle through these like emotional like sort of i guess things that you can in some way um find inspiration from mm. and then for me a huge part of it was like the landscape like while why i was there in the beginning like any time at any point where I was like, oh, this is so hard. I would literally be like, look around and see where you are. And I would just like, I'd turn my head 15 degrees and there'd be a glacier or there'd be a mountain with like, with like snow and ice crystals. Or I was riding through the area. They tested the moon, the, the lunar rovers because Iceland is the closest landscape to the moon. I was like, this isn't, and that's why for me, it's, it's the land. I swear to you, it sounds like so cheesy and stuff, <laughs> but like, I feel like I, extracted inspiration from the landscape like it was giving me something you know and i was and i love that the hardest challenge at the end like it was pouring rain so hard like every step was every i was you know going like 14 miles an hour my average time overall was 17.7 miles an hour of the tops of like my, my average speed and that's it was it was ridiculous, but um, the the probably that the scariest moment in the whole thing was there's there's actually like thirty plus miles of gravel and it's like Whoa. pretty pretty gnarly gravel. It's like not it's not casual. It's like mm. down a mountain pass Whoa. where you're like mostly on the brakes and Whoa. you're four hundred and fifty six miles in and so you're like kind of delirious riding down a technical gravel section. And I, I switched out a bike for this one uh, gravel bike, this Lauf bike. It has a really mm -hmm. cool little fork suspension. And it's made in Iceland. And that was pretty gnarly. It was like, because road riding, as you know, unless you're in a crit race or unless you're like in a big group Fondo, like it, you can be kind of mindless. You know, yeah. you can you can cruise and just kind of look around and like you're just moving the legs and unless you're like putting in an effort. So 
it was like that a lot, like just cruising. And then all of a sudden you have this very technical aware. I'm like, oh God, like I have to admit, I felt like emotionally fried after those 30 miles. Um, just cause of how much like focus and attention you have to give it. It's called like, um, I forget what the, the name is, but it's a cool gravel route in Iceland that like connects this one mount, this one highway, one road to the other one and only impassable in summer. Right. So, and then you're halfway. Yeah. And then you're halfway. You're like, I've crested the coast. This is amazing. Yeah. So dude. wild. Dude. Yeah. Did you, did you ever contemplate quitting? No, no, it wasn't even a thought. I honestly was like the beauty of it. I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing so well. I could literally stop and sleep for 24 hours if I needed to and keep going. Yeah. Like, but, it, but the, here's the best part, my crew and like, you know, what crews are like when they're supporting you, like you, they're such a part of your experience. Right. And I remember asking them like, where's the other people? Cause they had, and they, so like t- maybe like six, seven hours in the other guy, Erica, he's rad dude. We've, he, I, I have nothing but respect for him, but, um, they were like, Oh man, he's like pretty close. He's like an hour behind you. I'm like <laughs> an hour. I'm like, what <laughs> an hour? Like, are you freaking kidding me? And I was like, I was like, hell no. Like I'm not, I, like I told the guys, I was like, I'm not stopping for the rest of this thing. Like I'm, I'll get off the bike, but I'm Wait, not. This is six hours in. No, like this is basically like, so I, I jumped ahead. Sorry. This is like 20, six hours in and he was only an hour behind you yeah they lied to me what he had he had quit he had had dnf six six hours in and i was like i and they didn't tell me and so the whole time i'm like this this guy i would have murdered those people i know but i was like i was like hell on wheel like absolutely (gasps) just like if there wasn't a fire before because i because at that point i was like i knew i was doing really good i knew i was on track to not only win but also beat the course record like and that in and of itself is a huge honor um because it's a freaking gnarly course you know you're you're it's whatever but it was like such an added thing um to, to kind of have this like person on my this imaginary person chasing me that was was pretty crazy and then i and he's the nice dude when i like went to the when i finished and i got to the end he was there waiting and and whatnot and we chatted and it was rad but like still a sense of community, like just me and like a bunch of random people that I've never met still there to like welcome this accomplishment. But yeah, it was, dude, it was chaos. There's so much more to like dive into yeah. in, in that. But I feel like these, this type of writing is very approachable to be honest. Like the biggest thing in sacrifice is time. And a huge part of that, like you said, talking to my wife, like that's, I like explain to her ahead of time, like this is, and communication for us has always been everything. Like I think this, is a valuable lesson for anyone to learn in any field is like, if you have a significant other who's going to support you, like be realistic about what those expectations are going to be. And if I'm like, Hey babe, like I need to have a day to myself every week that I can just, that I'm going to devote to training, which was kind of nice. Cause I'm like, I could do a 300 mile ride in a day or whatever. Um, every other day I'm just going to like wake up early, try and get my stuff done and then like help you out the rest of the day or work or whatever. So that was a huge part of it was that, that time and, and, and yeah, that is a sacrifice. I mean, it was, I've never spent more time on one thing in my life, mm. like that I enjoyed doing obviously and wasn't for work, right? So. And you still like Iceland? <laughs> I was there just recently. I, I mean, I still love it. I'm gonna probably go back in March and I've now I'm looking at 
so that year was really about, um, was it really about road riding and trying to get into that ultra endurance road riding? And I have no desire to do Ram. Like I've been asked a lot. It's, it's enticing, but it's more of an ego thing. Like I would love to do Ram because of this, but I mean, you were celebrating a place. Yeah. I was celebrating a place and I'm interested in doing raw, which is the first 900 miles because it's sick because you're in California and Utah and Colorado. Like it's the sickest section. After that, people literally want to kill themselves. Yeah. They're like, I'm in Kansas and it's 30 mile an hour side wind. And like yeah. you hear the stories and you're like, dude, like I, so I'm, you know, transcontinentals of interest to me, the, the, you know, the divide trail. Yeah. Like I feel like for me this year or in the next dude, couple of years would destroy the divide. I would love to do it. Oh, I've, you know, I've seen Lael's videos and I've, I've just the, 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 the solo and self-sufficient thing was, um, is what's really interesting to me. Every training ride I've ever done. Um, was never supported. So it was weird to all of a sudden, like we had to like practice like a water bottle pass off. I'm like, I don't know how you do this guys. I think this is how it works. Yeah. Like this, you know, the communication and all that. And, um, and yeah, it was, that was a weird thing. I really like the solo, uh, unsupported idea and concept. And oddly enough, um, for like maybe two months of my training ride, I didn't even realize that I didn't have the right spare tire. Like I know nothing about bikes. Like that should be said loud and clear. Like <laughs> I like legitimately like took like online classes to be like, how to, how to put like sealant in your thing. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. like uh, orange sealed would, would be like so sad about this, but like basically like I know nothing and it's fine. And I just, I'm only saying that because you don't need to know mm-hmm. everything about bikes to ride a bike. Like yeah. that's totally it. There's ignorance there. Yeah. But there's also a beauty to like not being in it an expert in, yeah. yeah and and like yeah I, I did like some of my most i guess you could call them like dangerous rides like riding the big sur coast up and back in a day without even having a spare tire because <laughs> it was the wrong length stem yeah like yeah, i had these yeah. deep dish wheels and i had this little and i remember the one time I pulled it out i'm like dear god like i've been using this thing for months like <laughs> that would not have worked luckily i had i didn't have a flat you know or a, like luckily i was running tubeless um yeah. so yeah and i would i would just lastly i'd say like comfort is everything in this race like you know, I, I have this, you know, uh, 2019 Roubaix that I rode and I just put, uh, some, my, my infamous, um, you know, <laughs> arrow bars on there and I stacked them up real high to like the point where like, yeah, like working through like neck comfort and all those things. Yeah. That's just something that you have to ride and you oh, have yeah. to like every week it was like, I'd be back at the bike shop and they'd be like, how did this work? And I would take meticulous notes in my phone of like, uh, this kind of felt like this, this kind of felt like that, knowing that like, yeah, you can work through those things, but just taking the time to like work through it. Like this is your spacecraft and you're going to be doing a long range mission and you want to have everything dialed. Like it's like a van. I, I have a sprinter, you have, you have one, you know, and we, we live in these things and the more time you spend not full time, you not full time. No. How many people assume yeah. I live in the van? Full no, time? no, no. I mean, same for me. Mine just for big adventures, yeah. but the more time you spend, you're like, Oh man, like this is what I need in there. And then yeah. this, you know, and you do a couple of long road trips and you're like, Oh, well this is how I want my bed set up. So that's what the bike is like. You know, it's, it's super fun. That part of like setting it up and yeah, there's like little advantages of like, you know, having shifters in your aero bars and this and that, and like what kind of water bottle you use, but like that's a part of the fun, you know? And that's kind of, um, I think a part of the experience is like figuring out what suits you best, totally. you know, for sure. So sick, dude. That I mean, honestly, if someone were to ask me what the gnarliest bike accomplishment is that I've ever 
heard about it. I honestly, no, I'm serious. That is no exaggeration. I honestly Dude, mean you're that. You're going to make me blush because like, no, I, <laughs> I, I, coming from you, that's like ridiculously high. No, praise. I seriously, I seriously, seriously feel that way. Um, just all of those, all of those factors, the, the mental component combined with the physical component combined, combined with the, the elements, <clears throat> it's just so mind blowing. Like I just can't, when you explain the miles and use, you use the metrics like, okay, we did coast ride together over yeah. the course of three days and we got tired and people yeah, yeah. were, you get to the third day and there's people laying around yeah, at the yeah. lemon tree hotel, just like <sighs> on death's doorstep. Imagine taking those three days and doing it in a day. And, yeah. and then wait actually no then go back oh just oh. kidding keep go down again like it just doesn't even compute um, yeah i know what you it's mean it's so incredible it's, it's a weird so one. cool but so i but so i think cool. we both we all we both find those places in our lives like you know I, I was watching even the the um the gravel bike packing trip you did in texas and i'm like i can tell he likes he loves this place like oh, yeah. this is a place that he like loves and Maybe it reminds you of your childhood. Maybe it reminds you of something. I don't know what it, the draw is, but it's not necessarily my place. But I, I see that, and I see yeah. that passion. I think there's something to be said for that. Like sometimes, in the minute that we forget why we ride bikes, it's important to remember, like that there's something so special about having an access to landscape in a way that is like nothing else ever. Like how special? Like, totally. So incredible. Like. I mean, in the end, it's it's not about podiums, this and that. It's mm -hmm. about like you get to move across the earth in an incredibly amazing way, and you you're totally subject to everything that nature has to throw at you. And I think that's like a very beautiful thing. Like it's being, the single. I just think it's the single best way to learn the world. I mean, it's the perfect speed. Yeah. You know, you were in Iceland. Like Iceland was in you. Yes. Like, it was just yeah. This. No, it, it really was. <laughs> like the sand was in my ears and eyes. Yeah. And the water it pissed on me. You know, yeah. like it was. Yeah. It was full on. Yeah. 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 I did hallucinate. I'll leave you with that. Basically, I saw. Uh, there's no uh, reptiles in Iceland whatsoever. And my good friend Ellie, who at the very end of the race, he like built me a little hot tub at his house. I'm in the hot tub, and I'm like, Ellie, there's snakes in here. You got to get these things out. And he's just laughing at me full of speed. And I'm like. He's like, this is wood. There's no snakes. <laughs> and I also thought I saw like a unicorn and I was like pointing to the driver. I was like, do you see that? It was, it was actually legitimately hectic. That um, is insane. Yeah. Man. That is so crazy. Is there, uh, is there a film about this or anything? No, no, no I didn't. I mean, you know, I, everything I do in life is documented in some yeah, way. And good this for was, you. This was just fun to like, I had a really awesome this was for you, man. You didn't get Fully. any. Yeah, there was. Yeah, this wasn't a professionalism it, thing. It was documented by my friend's iPhone uh, in just his Instagram, and this he, was and, me. Yeah, and it was really funny. It was like watching. It, yeah. yeah, I was just like. And Ryan, there are so many stories, and I yeah. wish there were still more. It's funny because Ryan <laughs> Robinson, he's an athlete I've shot. He's a professional highliner, like super badass. Yeah. Great person to have on the podcast. Talk about like mental strength, right? He walks highlines thousands of feet off the ground, and I asked him to come and like sag me and like. I, I don't know about you, but you've experienced before, but like, I didn't realize it's a big ask. Mm. Like you're like, um, you're asking somebody, you're like, Hey, um, come and see me at my very worst and help me through it. Like, that's a crazy thing to ask of somebody. And I, I just, I guess I didn't realize that at first. And you know, it draws you really close to the people that you like, like you're with. Like I would consider like him and the, the two other Icelanders who are with me, like as my, some of my very best friends, like people yeah. I could be like, Hey, I, I, would give me the shirt off their back. And to just see that willingness is like amazing. Yeah. Like 
really incredible. So, dude, that's so cool. Yeah, man. I'm so I'm so glad <laughs> we got to break all that down. I mean, I've been dying to talk about that forever. Yeah, I'm sorry it was just mostly me blabbing about no, it. No, that's exactly so... you. I mean, you're you're so good at storytelling that that's why I didn't show up with a notebook today, and I showed up with one <laughs> one question. I like, love that. I knew it's a great this question. Would be perfect. Man. Like, yeah, that's all I was looking for. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, you're a legend. Thanks for <laughs> continuing to put good good out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. You. Like I said, epic. One thing I really do appreciate about Chris is that when he decides he's going to do something, he does it at 100%. Every time. 100% is the only option. And let's be honest, he does a lot of things at 100%. Pretty damn inspiring. Uh, thank you, SRAM, for being presenting partner of this episode and for signing on for a whole bunch of episodes in 2020. Um, they've made it clear how much they believe in this project. And um, like I said at the top of the show, they are the official sponsor of the Orange Seal Off-Road team. So I end up having pretty frequent conversations with employees of all kinds at SRAM and almost every time the podcast comes up in conversation, uh, a lot of their, a lot of the folks at the company there listen to the podcast, really appreciate the podcast, and you know are engaged in what we're trying to do here. And that's the kind of partnership we're trying to look for. This is not just a, hey, let's get our our name out there sort of situation. This is a true partnership through and through. They believe in us, and and we believe in them. So. Thank you, SRAM, for helping make this possible. And we hope to do you proud on the race course this year and on the podcast course. (laughs) Thank you, Lily, for being the editor and producer of this show that makes it sound so good. Yes, I do mess up and fumble and um way more frequently than comes across on the actual Final Polish recording. So thank you, Lily for making me sound a little bit better than I actually do. If y'all would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the adventure stash. And if you sign on for $10 or more a month, we will send you stickers and one of our limited edition OG logo t-shirts. It's the only way to get one. If you'd prefer not to sign on, for those $10 a month, perfectly understandable, but just spreading the word by mouth goes a long, long way. Please subscribe to the show. If you don't subscribe to the show, actually, fun fact, new episodes don't always actually pop up immediately for those that aren't subscribed. So sometimes there's a little 24 hour delay there from when we upload to when you actually get to see it, unless you're subscribed, in which case it's right there, right in your inbox. Give us five stars, give a review, give a comment, etc., etc. Catch you next week. A special episode, 50th anniversary. Well, I guess not anniversary because that means year. 50th episode. It's a milestone of some kind. Maybe we'll do something special. Catch y'all then.